Hi, everybody. We're back with Robert Phoenix for our Astro Fix, the summer of 2018. Before we bring Robert on, what we're going to do is chat just a little bit about the springtime because a lot of people felt a lot of frustration around it and see what Robert has to say about what manifested and some of the things that kind of softened or didn't have to come to full fruition before we launch into the summer. So without further ado, Robert, welcome. Hey, it's great to be back with you, Regina, as always. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's good to see you. First of all, let's talk about the spring of 2018 and this kind of frustration. It's so a lot of people I ran into felt like they, they couldn't make things move forward they, the way they wanted to. They were feeling a bit thwarted. That was the probably the most common uh, complaint I heard just from the people around me in my own life. So let's talk about that and anything else that was really kind of prominent in uh, your spring forecast that came to pass. So it's a really good, it's a really great question, Regina, because there are three major aspects that were taking place during the springtime, which made moving forward a bit difficult. First of all, we look at Jupiter, and Jupiter was retrograde, uh, and has been retrograde for most of the spring, and Jupiter, of course, is a planet of opportunity and expansion, and, uh, and sometimes just brings us more of whatever, it's, whatever sign it's in. But when it's retrograde, especially in Scorpio, people are looking at how they use their resources, how they use their energy, um, also dealing with the darker parts of their nature. A lot of people like to get into this whole idea of the shadow and places uh, uh, inside of themselves where, where you know, they're kind of hiding out or it's dark. And so when Jupiter goes retrograde in Scorpio, in my estimation, there's much more of an emphasis on the inner life and trying to understand like what's going on, not just here and now, but looking at like our life in terms of a continuum. You know, where do we use our power? Where do we use our resources? And in some ways, how we even sold ourselves out with the Jupiter-Scorpio retrograde. Um, because when, whenever we get into Scorpio, we talk about things like death, right? I mean, it's a sign that rules death. And associated with death is fear. Like, you know, everything, all of our fear pretty much manifests out of the fear of death. So when we go back to that Jupiter-Scorpio retrograde, we're also dealing with this kind of deeper internal process around you know, what keeps us from moving forward? What choices do we make out of a place of fear or compromise? And I feel like that that's, that's been going on for a lot of people. The second big aspect was the transition from Chiron and Pisces to Chiron and Aries. And this is a really, really important transit. We talked about it on the last, uh, last broadcast we did. And, you know, going from this kind of, place of what I would call, and I may anger some people here, but heightened victimization with, with Chiron and Pisces. And that's across the board, whether you're on the left or the right, or, you know, kind of hanging out in some kind of apolitical atheist sort of, you know, inner zone, you know, there's been this really intense culture of what I would call hyper victimization. Like the right feels that they're victimized. The left feels that they're victimized. And it's, it really hit a crescendo when we were at those final degrees of Chiron and Pisces. Now it's in Aries, and we're all having to look at how we actually can manifest our will moving forward and take more responsibility for our lives. Um, one of the things that you and I were talking about yesterday is uh, your guy Zeus is now coming out with a book about masculinity and kind of new model of being a male. 
This is right in alignment with Chiron and Aries. And men are really going to have to, you know, we talked about this before, realign themselves as to what it means to be a man and to be a, a functional male in our society. And that, in, in my estimation, that means blowing up sort of the old macho patterns, but also blowing up some of the other patterns where men gave their power away at the same time. So this is a really interesting dynamic. Again, this is across the board. It's not just yeah. for men, but women as well. So well, we're all really realigning ourselves in conjunction with our will. Go ahead. Interestingly, Zeus is an Aries. <laughs> and the book does exactly, the timing. Yeah, and the book does exactly that. It takes down both sides and looks at in a totally different new model of co-creativity. So it sounds like he's right on. And I want to make another comment uh, about the Scorpio, Jupiter and Scorpio. Um, we're going to be talking about Talk about bringing oneself down in the darker side of nature. We're going to be talking about a couple of prominent Scorpio women a little later in this show. Absolutely. Roseanne yeah. Barr. And then my own experience has been as a Scorpio with Jupiter and Scorpio in retrograde that I've been trying to sell my beautiful, wonderful temple home. And it sold twice right out of the chute. And then, of course, hang it was hanging on in escrow for a month. And last minute, the buyers dropped out. Another couple came and bought it. They dropped out. So it just kind of got hung up in this nowhere land the whole time, which, of course, has to do with finances. So I just wanted to say, personally, I've experienced what you're talking about right on. Let's talk about the third element of it. Well, the third element, of course, is the, the big mover and shaker. I mean, literally, and that's Uranus and Taurus. So we went from those final degrees of Uranus and Aries. And Uranus and Aries was really, I think, really interesting, but also a really mixed bag in a lot of ways. I mean, you had a lot of people who were kind of waking up, during, especially during the last five degrees of Uranus and Aries, like six degrees. So we had people that were like, woke. Right there, you know, this this movie Get Out was very, very popular. Yeah. And that kind of triggered this sort of, you know, kind of woke movement in the African American community, right? And then on the on the other side, you've got like this whole kind of, you know, stirring up the consciousness of the feminine, like hold hold on a second, we're gonna push back. You know, we don't wanna be, you know, moved in a certain direction. We don't wanna be violated, we wanna be respected, right? And then on the same side, You've got Chiron and Aries, I'm sorry, Uranus and Aries. Again, this is like perpetuating what's going on with men and that men trying to wake up, but also you've got the right waking up and the left waking up. I mean, all these people were like, you know, demanding in some ways, like their own list of demands, right? This is what happened with Uranus and Aries. And then what happens because you're dealing with Uranus, which is the ruler of Aquarius, people cluster off into groups, right? Mm -hmm. So I think one of the interesting kinds of, developments, whether, you know, you're into it or not, whether you believe it or not, is the whole QAnon phenomenon. Because the QAnon phenomenon is obviously a widespread group of people who really in their own way are waking up in a way that I think is really fascinating. Now, I don't, I don't you know, sign off on everything QAnon. I've got some major questions around QAnon and where it's all going. That's just my piece. But you cannot deny the fact that there are, like, you know, quote unquote, middle-aged housewives from middle America who are getting into QAnon. I mean, that is really, we've never seen anything like this before. And in some ways, QAnon has even displaced Fox News in a very kind of strange meta sort of way. Now, that was all, again, Uranus and Aries, and that was individuals 
waking up and clustering into groups. Now that's changed. Now we have Uranus and Taurus where, you know, that part, you know, whatever you like, you know, came to whatever conclusion or kind of revelation or epiphany that you had during that period of time, well, now you've got to do something with it because that's Taurus. It's like, you know, what are you going to do? How are you going to ground change in your life? So the springtime was this kind of really metamorphic period in a lot of ways. And not, it's, um, you know, I had a, had a, a live stream the other night on my channel. And one of the things I talked about is this awakening process. And I really firmly believe we are in what I would call a great awakening. Like, but it's a really critical time. You know, like when something is being born, when it's coming through the, the birth canal, a lot can go wrong. And there are a lot of things that can kind of, you know, take that energy or that entity in a different direction. And I feel like that that's where we are right now. And we can even look at this whole process that's taking place with Kilauea in Hawaii, right? This is Uranus and Taurus right on time. It's explosive. It's volcanic. There's new life coming up from the inside of the earth. And then what happens? It cools off and becomes this really hard material kind of, you know, entity that we, we have to. So this is, this is really a, a big metaphor for us. And it's not just what's happening in Kilauea, but now we've got some action down in Guatemala. The whole Uranus and Taurus thing is going to be a big story for us for the next seven years. But that Kilauea event is really representative of where we are. We're merging from this molten existence, which is what Uranus and Aries fire was, right? And now we're coming into this cooling phase. What are you going to do with your awakening? What are you going to do with your epiphany? What are you going to do with your revelation? How are you going to make the world a better place? I think that's going to be the next chapter here that's going to be really interesting for us. Oh, that's a fascinating place to be for all of us because that means we can put our creative input into the situation. Let me just follow up on that really quickly. Are you saying that over the next seven years, we're going to have a lot of kind of explosive earth activity in general? Absolutely. Pardon? Absolutely. Yes. So that would mean all of it. Earthquakes, tidal waves. Earthquakes, tidal waves. um, We have massive rains in North Carolina just recently flooding. So it's not just limited to the, you know, what comes out of the earth, but also, you know, what's taking place in the biosphere. Mm-hmm. That's Uranus and Taurus and expect the unexpected. Okay. So thanks for the recap of the springtime. Now we're going to launch into the summer of 2018 and we're just a short distance, gosh, about nine, 10 days away from the Korean summit on the 15th. So I know that you've worked up a chart for the summit. So let's talk about what you expect to see happen. Yeah, it's a really interesting chart. And one of the things that I did is I, I pulled that chart for 10 a.m. roughly uh, for uh, uh, Indonesian time, I'm sorry, Singapore time. And the, you know, the actual summit may start a little bit earlier, but I would assume by about 10 a.m. they'll be either you know, on it or really rocking and rolling. So at 10 a.m. Uh, Singapore time, we have Leo on the Ascendant with the true node on the Ascendant and Leo as well. Well, there's going to be a lot of pomp and circumstance around this. That's the nature of Leo. Leo likes to be noticed, likes to be seen. And of course, when Donald J. Trump is a Leo rising with his Ascendant, at, what is it, 28 degrees Leo. So, you know, already he's, um, 
you know, it's being announced that he's going to be protected by Gurkhas, right? This the, They're going to be his personal guard oh God. Uh, in Singapore. And if you've ever seen a Gurkha, they're very colorful characters, right? <laughs> they're not guys running around with, you know, Ray-Bans and little earpieces. And What do they look like? Oh, Gurkhas are, they're, they're very, um, <laughs> they look like they stepped out of the uh, 19th century, right? So they're festooned and they, you know, they're, they have this kind of, you know, semi-regalia kind of vibe associated with them. And uh, they're going to, you know, Gurkhas are, you know, in terms of their uh, their complexion, they're kind of dark and exotic, right? I mean, it's like, so this is like a pageant in some ways, you know. He's going to have Gurkhas, like, protecting him over in Singapore. And this is, you know, really, like, in, in alignment with this kind of Leo rising vibe and energy. So... What is Kim Jong-un going to do, right? How, how is he going to interact with Trump? And what kind of pageantry is he going to bring? Is he going to bring his, uh, you know, now famous Olympic cheerleading squad? I mean, this is, I mean, part of this is going to be a real spectacle, you know? I mean, I mean, I really think they could do like a reality show out of this thing. Now, what's really fascinating is that Mars is going to be in Aquarius, okay? And that's going to be over here in the seventh house. We have Venus and Leo over here in the first house. So what they're trying to do now is they're trying to bring Mars and Venus into alignment, right? Opposition. And Mars is aggressive, but it's aggressive in an Aquarian kind of way. Like, can we meet some kind of Aquarian objective here? Can we set aside our Leo ego in some ways in order to come together and have this kind of peace accord? And if that's the case, then how do we do that? Well, in astrology, when we have an opposition, there's probably a pretty good chance there's going to be a T-square with another planet. And on this day, that's the case. Uranus will be at one degree Taurus and will form a T-square with Venus and Mars. So theoretically, we'd look at that position of Uranus as the point of rectification. It's in the ninth house, which is foreign governments. I think the best thing they could do and what we might actually see happen, and this has actually been really fascinating, right? Even in the run-up to this, Putin's gotten involved, Lavrov's gotten involved, Xi's gotten involved. Even Assad has met with Kim Jong-un. I mean, who else can they bring in here, right? Kathy Lee Gifford, maybe. I don't know. I mean, so, so this Uranus in the ninth house is really kind of unconventional. And, you know, one of the things that we have to kind of work out, right, and this is what I think a lot of people are struggling with at times. Like, how scripted is reality? Like, you know, how scripted is the news? How scripted are sporting events? You know, how scripted is the stock market? And even like something like this, how scripted is this? I mean, how much is, of this is for our, just our public consumption in some ways? Or in pursuit to that, how can there be something interesting radical, unique, and novel that asserts itself even into the script, okay? So this is, I think, a really interesting part of the summit in what could actually come out of it if, if they were open to it, right, and not fully engage whatever kind of scripted kind of play that they've got going on, is that if Putin is there, if Lavrov has been there, if Assad has actually had conversations with uh, uh, Kim Jong-un, if uh, Xi from China is involved, this could actually be bigger than North Korea, 
right? This could be a jumping off place where all of a sudden people are sitting down. And it's like, okay, well, you know, let's, let's see what else we can carve out here. You know, what other kinds of things can we do that can, you know, release some of this global tension? I think it's going to be very interesting because Uranus is the wild card. And what it's doing in this chart is it's sextiling both uh, Mercury. And, well, it's kind of a wide sextile with the moon, but it's mostly sextiling Mercury, which is in Cancer. So we have a Mercury-Uranus sextile, and that's like moving the communication. And Mercury and Cancer is not, you know, it's not like Mercury and Gemini, which is heady and wants to slice things up and dice things up. Mercury and Cancer has emotion connected to it. It's, it's got emotional content. And by the way, uh, the moon will also be in Cancer at that time, and part of a grand trine. So we have moon, trine Neptune, trine Jupiter. That's actually a pretty pretty tremendous trine for this event to take place. And Jupiter is going to be right around 10 o'clock in the morning in the fourth house, which is where everybody's going to be sitting down right in that place in the fourth house with Jupiter and Scorpio. Some interesting developments, which I've, I've just read this morning. And this really speaks to the Trump administration in a lot of ways. Like Mike Pompeo basically slammed the door on John Bolton getting involved in the last minute with North Korea. Now I'm not a huge Mike Pompeo fan and I'm not a big John Bolton fan, but I think it's interesting that this is what's taken place because something's on the table here. It's been on the table for a while. What it actually is, what North Korea actually is, we still won't, I don't think we'll have a really clear kind of understanding of what North Korea actually is because if you look at North Korea on paper, there's no way it can exist. They can't grow their own food. Mm-hmm. They got disconnected from the Soviet Union over, what, 13, 14 years ago? So they've been dependent on a lot of different pieces in order to just stay alive. One of the theories, again, this gets back to the scripted part of reality, is that North Korea went from being a Soviet asset to a CIA asset at some point in time. Mm-hmm. And that they've actually been involved with keeping North Korea alive as kind of a, a limited hang, which is what they, the term they use in the intelligence agency. Yeah. So with the moon in the 12th house, we're still not sure, you know, who or what North Korea is. It's hidden. It's, it's tucked away. Can there be some resolution? I think so. But these oppositions are going to have to be reconciled. The moon is going to be opposed Saturn at that point in time. And that's a tough opposition. The Saturn wants to be, you know, uh, like daddy-like and he wants to come in and, you know, lay down the rules and say, this is how things are going to be. And, you know, these are the guidelines. This is what you have to give up and all that other stuff. And the moon is much more feminine and yielding and cancer and more sensitive. So, again, we're trying to figure out how they're going to bring Saturn, which is, you know, structure, law, order, conformity with the moon and cancer, which is emotional sensitivity and vulnerability. And then we have the Venus-Mars opposition. So it's going to be a really interesting event. The one thing, by the way, this is totally lined up for Trump. Totally. Like when you do the synastry chart with Trump and this event, uh, Trump's birthday is, uh, let's see, I think it's a day before, if I'm not mistaken. So, uh, or... Let me see. So Trump's birthday is the day after. It is the day after this event. 
So he's going to have a sun-sun conjunction. Are you kidding me? He's going to, you know, theoretically, one of the biggest events of the 21st century, he's got a sun-sun conjunction at that time. I mean, he's, he's, going to, he's going to stand out. He'll shine. He'll be Trump, unapologetically Trump. He's got uh, uh, transit. His Mercury is on the moon. So he's going to be able to tap into the intuitive component of this. And by the way, his Pluto, his natal Pluto and Leo is going to be right on the true note and right on the ascendant. That's really proud energy. Super proud. He's going to want to come in. He's going to want to dominate. It's going to be, it's going to be the, it's going to be the Trump show. Um, and there is a possibility that he could actually pull out of the summit with Pluto on the ascendant. If things don't go his way, they'll pull out. The one guy that you got to watch out for is Moon, right? This guy Moon, who is the, um, the current prime minister of South Korea, right? He's an Aquarius. So his son is going to be in that seventh house. So he's going to play a very significant role. And just from kind of the, you know, uh, metaphoric or symbolic perspective, you know, where's the moon? The moon is in the 12th house. And his name happens to be moon, right? So again, that's behind the scenes. So this guy I think is going to be pretty influential. I, I, here's what I think. I think if people have any kind of really spiritual impulse in their life, that they could look at this event and whether you pray or whether you want to send good energy to it or whatever you want to do, I think it would be a really interesting exercise if people could actually throw some positive energy at this thing so that it could, it could like mushroom into something else, something bigger. And I think what's happened is we've all become so cynical lately with, you know, with the, with the, basically the, you know, the suicide ping pong that's been going on between the right and the left and people want to out. And, you know, there's, I think a lot of people, are, again, pursuant to this Jupiter Scorpio retrograde, people are pulling away. Right. You know, you know they want to, they're you know, kind of wanting to get out of that mix. Well, here's an opportunity where if you're really committed to your spiritual path, if you're really committed to changing the world, whether you're a Christian or whether you believe in, you know, prime creator or whatever it is, throw some good energy at this event because it has the potential of doing something interesting. And that's from the astrological perspective with Uranus and the square to Venus and, and, and Mars. It's like, you know, what happens if, you know, consciousness or God or, you know, whatever we want to term it sneaks into that event, right? What happens? Then all of a sudden things are going in a very interesting direction. And now we're kind of, you know, warping off into, you know, maybe more of a sense of global and international compatibility. It's going to be fascinating to watch regardless of how it goes down. That sounds just not just fascinating, but like a really profound opportunity. And, you know, I look at it because I'm also jaded and cynical, I think, in terms of the players themselves, thinking they have not so far operated in a particularly conscious manner. It's, it's they're more reactive than anything, emotionally reactive. And as you said, that kind of reactivity could cause Trump to pull out. If he's, if he's pumped up and it's his show and he's not liking the direction, like you say, it's possibly could pull out. But I love the idea that you're inviting everybody in to say, no, let's infuse a little 
higher consciousness in between all of the cells, all of the atoms of their beings and see what kind of thing could happen, even if it's at the kind of at the uh, influence of other people around them. Who cares? I would love to see something of an unexpected magical thing happen out of that. Yeah, I, I, th I think it's, you know, I think it's really possible to invite the quantum yes. into that experience. One of the things that I've been playing with, just in terms of my own observations with what's going on with so-called reality, is that everybody's looking for this kind of gotcha moment. You know, whether it's a gotcha with this person or that person, you know, the whole thing with Joy Reid, right? Joy Reid made a lot. Joy Reid made some actually interesting like posts a long time ago on Twitter, which I don't really want to get into. But it's like the right said, oh, Joy Reid, she's really gotten after our president. Well, look what she had on her Twitter feed, right? And of course, we have the Roseanne and the Samantha Bee and the Valerie Jarrett thing. And we're also awaiting, and this kind of gets into the QAnon material as well. You know, we're, we're waiting for that, that thunderbolt to come down from heaven and strike down upon, you know, the wicked and, 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 the, un, and the unjust, right? We're all waiting for that, whether it's a gotcha moment or some, some big piece of information. And, and I think ultimately, while that could be interesting to some degree, I think we're going about this in, in kind of a the wrong direction and the wrong energy. And one of the metaphors I use, you know, we're investing ourselves into being like these Davids, these little Davids, right? With one, you know, one little shot, try to get it into the third eye of these Goliaths. And I feel like, you know, maybe what we really might want to think about is like we're Goliaths in our own way, you know, because we put these people on these, these pedestals. And in many ways, without their, you know, societies or foundations or their families and their illicit wealth, they're nobody. They're nothing. You know, they're just like you and I. Yeah. But, but they have been you know, essentially brought along with a program. And I think that's, you know, if we learned anything with Uranus and Aries where people are waking up, you know, Taurus is a leveler. It's a real lever. It's about getting horizontal with things. So let's get horizontal with the powers that be in this world. I think that's, I think that's our next step. I absolutely love it. Okay, so that's uh, we, you've done a great job. Thank you so much for kind of deconstructing what this whole opportunity is for us um, with the summit coming up because everybody will see this before the summit happens. So now let's take it a little bit after the summit. We're going a little later in June. I have the dates here, June 19th. We have uh, Neptune retrograde and then the 22nd, Venus-Mars opposition. So a little bit later in June, what do these uh, indicate? Yeah, the Neptune retrograde. Neptune has been in Pisces <laughs> since Fukushima. I mean, it, oh, it went right into Pisces right after Fukushima happened. So that's 2011. We're now in the seventh year Whoa. of Neptune and Pisces. And we've got a ways to go. It's, it's just halfway through the sign. So we're about another seven years away before it actually goes out and moves into Aries, which will be interesting. Um, but it's right there. It's in the second decan. The second decan is the Cancerian decan. So again, what are we dealing with? We're dealing with emotion. We're dealing with primary issues, families, children to some extent, primary water, the water you drink. 
the springs, the wells, the ponds, the streams, these are all really connected to the second decan of Neptune and Pisces. One of the things that you and I talked about yesterday when we were warming up for this show was uh, I asked you the question, what is the most popular channel on cable TV? And every time I ask this question to somebody else or somebody, um, they get it wrong. And I understand why they get it wrong. I mean, the obvious choice would be Fox News, ESPN, CNN, right? Those would be sort of the ones that would rise to the surface. Well, I came to find out about, about a week ago that it's actually the Hallmark Channel. And you and I discussed that a little bit yesterday. And that gets into that second decan of Neptune where it's in that Cancerian decan where people want to connect with something that is emotional. It has content. Um, in many cases, there's a generally a happy ending associated with. There's also like pieces of family and relationship and continuity. I mean, it's really fascinating. This is the most watched network on cable TV. I think that along mentioned. with the I think that along with the Lifetime Network, which is essentially giving the same kind of programming. That's right. That's right. But, but Hallmark is actually on top of it. So it's, it's like mm-hmm. that's that's top dog. Yeah. And this is one of the reasons why Roseanne was brought back, by the way. Because the network executives pay very close attention to what people are watching and wanting. So they went back in time and they decided, well, we're going to bring back a family show from, what was that, the 80s, from the 1980s, and we're going, to, we're going to, you know, repopulate it and popularize it again. And they were right. I mean, Roseanne's ratings were off the hook. I mean, it was really taking network TV by storm. So they were, they were hip to that. They said, okay, let's have our own version of this. Well, the Neptune retrograde piece, again, in that Cancerian decan, I think people are going to be doing a lot of soul searching during this time when Neptune is retrograde. And I think this is what the uh, second big retrograde of Neptune. Um, So this is going to be a lot of soul searching, right? They're going to be going back and be looking at, you know, what happened um, to my life, what happened to my family, what happened to this whole idea of what it is to have a family and be a family. I was just watching a commercial. I'm big on commercials. I think they speak to kind of where we are in the tenor of our times. And Zillow has a new commercial. I swear to God, it almost brought tears to my eyes. Okay. This is kind of what they're tapping into. So here we have a family. It's a, it's a nuclear family. How about that? That's a really interesting concept was a man. And then there was a woman and there was a son and you know, the son is out, he's playing ball and the, 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 the mother is online. She sees a house it's available on Zillow. The husband looks at it, you know, wow, and says, can't afford it. House still sticks around, and they decide that they're going to get this house. So you're being brought along with this commercial. Brilliant storytelling, by the way. It's such an economical amount of time. So they buy this house. You see them moving in. It's a nice old house, porch, right? Guy takes his son, and he, and he goes to a tree that's on the side of the house. And he walks about six feet, sticks a shovel in the ground, and then he digs up a metal, um, 
uh, lunchbox or metal toolbox, small. And in there are baseball cards and pictures and kind of me, I'm, I'm, I'm like, well enough, but I think it's, it was a time capsule he buried with his grandfather. Like that was his grandfather's house. Oh, wow. Right? Yeah. It's like, wow. You know, <laughs> this is the energy that's, be, you know, number one, well, they're picking up on it. I mean, obviously, right. Again, they're very sharp psychographically. They know people want this connectivity. Like we are, I think, I think our attention and our signal has been hijacked to the point where we think that Twitter is the world, right? Twitter is the world and Fox News is the world and InfoWars is the world and whatever else is the world or, or even CNN's, that's not the world. It's like a, a very shrill broadcast of um, a limited signal. And below that, there's a whole other reality going on, whole other reality. And this is what that the, dem the demographers are tapping into. They know that the Hallmark Channel is number one, right? So this Neptune Pisces retrograde, and this is going to be in the Cancerian decan, is getting people to think about this, to think about what's meaningful in their lives. You know, where is the continuity? Where is the constancy? You know, how is this going to move forward? How do we create a culture? And how do we create a culture that's not being created for us? And we can't do that until we have the spiritual underpinnings for that. Everything else will be incomplete. I, I couldn't agree more with you. That was so beautifully stated. You're getting me teared up. And, you know, I, this is pro I don't even know if this is appropriate to bring up, but I'm going to bring it up anyway, because we're going to be moving into the subject of our sons and boys and children. Uh, a little later, we can just hop on it now in that in this era, the part of the reason you're getting a little teared up and I'm getting a little teared up, and if Zeus were in the room, he were too, he would too, is that each of us have had these very challenging situations plopped into our lives with our sons, which, um, you know, for me, I've always had a very, very beautiful relationship with my son, and, and now we're estranged at a time. I, that's not anything I could have ever even conceived of, and it creates kind of a, for me, for the first is kind of true confessions, a little bit of a low grade depression because he's been such a major light in my life and part of my life. And the same thing with you and the same thing with Zeus. And I know other women, uh, friends of mine who have gone through this estrangement with sons of varying ages too. What's going on? Why is this happening? And let's talk about where children come into the story at astrologically as well. Well, that's a great that's a great question, and it's a really important topic of conversation. One of the things that you know I tapped into a couple of weeks ago on one of my podcasts was the emotional currency of children. And whenever you look at kind of a major event, um, whether it's a, a war or a, a public's protest or whatever, it's the emotional currency of children that's being exchanged for permission to fill in the blank, invade a foreign country or whatever that is. And again, we can see this across the board on the left and on the right. You know, I went back in time and I looked at um, when this young woman named Nayira 
from uh, Kuwait, was in Washington meeting for the Human Rights Commission. Tom Lantos, head of that commission, she basically sold the Iraq war. And she did it by lying. She lied over the fact that children were being taken out of their incubators, tossed in the streets. She, now, Hill and Knowlton had received $11 million to create a publicity campaign for Kuwait. And again, it's, it, we see this consistently with children. And, and I don't want to be too cynical here because I actually think that there's something going on at a higher level with this. But when you go back and look at what happened with WikiLeaks in October of 2016, you know, a lot of the information that came out of that was Pizzagate, right? I mean, it was the Podesta stuff. And so that was a big, big factor heading into that election. And of course, it was going to be a big factor because we're going to be dealing with the true note transiting in Leo, which is all about children. And it's still a really big issue right now. It's a very significant issue. What are we doing with our children? You know, there's a big event you and I talked about. It's starting to bubble up this thing in Tucson where they found this like pit where kids are being trafficked, right? And it's, you know, it's not hitting the, the mainstream news, but the alternative media is all over this thing. And then I don't want to get too deep into this, but that's actually a very real vector, right? And then you have something, you have this whole other thing going on, on on this other spectrum, like, well, what is a child? You know, is a child a boy? Is a child a girl? We're, you know, this whole dysphoria kind of piece is coming into play. And now I just saw that, what, France just lowered the consent of sex to 15. Uh, again, that's dealing with children. We have an admitted pedophile running for a race in the United States. I mean, all this stuff is bubbling up. Because we're de- this is the one part of our psyche and our nature that I think we are the absolutely most vulnerable. It's the childhood piece. We all have trauma from our childhood. We all have it. And when we get triggered by an event, that's what's being triggered. It's the traumatic spaces from our, our youth, whether it's abandonment, whether it's abuse, any of these things. And so this true note in Leo is it's coming down. It's in the final decan. So essentially it's coming into its own decan. It's in the Leo decan because unlike the, the planets, it's actually moving clockwise. So it starts off in, um, you know, at, at 29, 28, and it goes all the way back to zero. And then it moves into 29, 28 of the next sign, which will be cancer. And so here we are. The true note is going to be in Leo until January, then moves into Cancer. So when we get into Cancer, that's going to be a really interesting thing too because we're going to be dealing with mothers, we're going to be dealing with nurturing and this whole kind of feminine thing and the home. It's like, well, if we have challenges with the children, we've had challenges with our kids or growing up, where did it start? It started in that Cancerian realm, right? So this is why this stuff is coming up. And as, as it gets, like, closer and closer and closer to, like, it's kind of getting there now, like, three, four degrees, it's going to start to square Uranus. So the true node is going to square Uranus. The south node in Aquarius is going to square Uranus. And then we're going to have um, uh, Mars, even. The, Mar- the Mars piece is going to be on the south node, and it's going to be retrograde uh, uh, in opposition with the true node in Leo. That's kind of radical. 
You know, that's radical. Here's what I think is going to happen. I've already seen this. Like, there is this movement around what's taking place in Tucson around this, uh, this event that I was speaking of. There are, like, militia now of men that are, like, coming together to go find these perps, to go find these networks. That's a very Aquarian kind of thing, right? So this is going to be fascinating to see how all this goes down. Because in the past, when they've talked about, like, the militia against the government or against the state, you know, it's, you know, verboten. But what about, like, a militia against, you know, uh, child traffickers and pedophiles? Now, all of a sudden, people are like, yeah, go get them, right? Absolutely. So this gets back into the men piece, too. This gets well, back into this men piece. Go ahead. One, one thing you brought up yesterday, too, is that there is a connection between the company Senex and that a facility space in Tucson. That, yeah. And one of the owners, you said, I believe, was Carlos Slim. Carlos Slim. Who's one of the wealthiest men in the world. I think Mexican telecommunications is how he made his original money. Um, and so now you're looking at something that is more... Oh, it's, yeah, it's potentially much, much bigger. Much big, yes, potentially much bigger. bigger. Yeah. Now, again, I can't, you know, I can't put any, like, I can't pin any facts onto this. Yeah. But Kate Spade just committed suicide yesterday. I know. That was uh, sad. Well, you know, of course, the alternative community is looking into that. She's got ties to to the Clinton Foundation. I'm sorry. You know, I don't want to, you know, piss off a bunch of Clinton people, but you look at what happened in Haiti and the story around Haiti, and it gets really dark, and it gets, you know, very complicated and very ugly. But if you're willing to look into that, you'll see some things, um, you know, that may uh, may open your eyes. Well, but stories will start emerging. Yeah, there's this connection here. So, what's going to happen with these people that may have had some, like the Nexium stuff? That's another whole, you know rat's nest that's connected to both in a weird way. The Nexium stuff is connected to both Trump and the Clintons. Explain, Robert, explain Nexium to everyone. Okay. Nexium is, um, boy, Nexium is like a modern day Scientology. And it was started by theoretically by a guy by the name of Keith Rainier and Keith Rainier self-styled like boy genius, Renaissance man can do everything. And he became very interested in spirituality and helping people, theoretically, right? So Keith Rainier uh, was a computer programmer, uh, and then he linked up with some very important people, one of whom, by the way, is Vincente Fox's son. So Vincente Fox is Vincente Fox, former president of Mexico, big-time participant in Nexium. Um, Two other big-time people involved in Nexium were the Bronfman sisters. Sarah Bronfman, I think, uh, what's her sister's name? Is it Emily? Uh, Sarah Bronfman was a major player in Nexium, basically taking all this Bronfman money and investing it in all these Nexium programs. And then the other big player happens to be Allison Mack, who was a uh, kind of a B actress in a show called Smallville. So what happens is that Nexium actually becomes more than this kind of like Scientology sort of, you know, hit your human potential kind of experience. 
Next, he becomes involved in, in sex trafficking and, and the sex slave trade. And it, and, it, and it gets very ugly. I mean, really ugly. And in fact, Allison Mack and Keith Rainier are like these two major handlers and programmers. And then what they would do is they would brand women. I mean, literally brand them. So there was a Keith Rainier brand, um, and then there's an Allison Mack brand. And, th- and, and then when you get into next, you begin to, I mean, you begin to see all kinds of like really bizarre stuff. That's to, and bizarre connections. Like one of the connections with Nexium is Roger Stone. Roger Stone is a lobbyist for Nexium. He was like peddling influence on Capitol Hill for Nexium. If you know who Roger Stone is and what Roger Stone's about, I mean, Roger Stone likes to describe himself as a libertarian and a libertine. He's into the whole eyes wide shut thing. That's his thing. And then on the other side, Nexium's got, you know, contributions to the Clinton Foundation. And so, you know, obviously it's a political slash whatever organization, it's not political, but they want to, they want to get into politics and they want to massage both sides. Yeah. When you really drill down into Nexium, what you find is you find, again, children at the core of this, not just women who are branded. And by the way, absolutely brutalized and traumatized. And I know some of the stories, and I'm not going to share them here because they're not really all that pleasant to think about and deal with. But the whole child thing comes into play with Nexium as well. So this is what this – I got one more little piece with Nexium. Okay, and then I'll, after you're done with that piece, let's go – because we only have about 20 minutes left. Okay. I the one thing about Nexium that, happening. That, I, that I have to say – Yeah. Uh, and I've, I've, actually, I've actually seen the pictures – it looks like Stormy Daniels has a Nexium brand on it. No. Yes. Yes. Okay, you got to you you got to find this thing for us. <laughs> Do you really want me to find it for you? Yeah, find it for us and we'll put it in. Oh my god. Well, well you, you know, really don't want me to find it, trust me. <laughs> if it happens just below the navel, okay? Okay, gotcha. I know what you're saying. Okay, so um, this kind of creepy stuff is all happening under what influence astrologically? In well, the- I think it's I think it's just the true note in Leo. You know, we're dealing with the with the children piece. Yes, and you said, and, this and, is actually- and again, it's like it, it gets back into us, right? Like our inner child, mm-hmm. because that's how we relate to this stuff. You know, when we see this, it's like oh, it's not just we make this like uh, you know valuation in our heads that says, well, that's terrible. That's bad. Kids shouldn't have to go through that. No, it goes much deeper and hits us at a deep, 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 deep psychological level. And there's a part of us that identifies with whatever it is that they experience at some level in our own way. Okay. And amidst this in our prep yesterday, you're talking about the fact this is actually a good time for the, to start essentially rescuing the child, I mean, not just the child externally, the child within, this is a good time for protections, for revelations and understanding around children and what's ha- been happening to them. Now is the time that that can, that's, it's beneficial for that to happen, correct? Yeah, I mean, I think so, because one of the things that Leo is also associated with is this whole idea, notion, and concept of play. Like to play and to have fun and to lighten up and to be creative and, you know, go back to a time in your life where 
You got a big piece of paper and a bunch of paint. You did this finger paint as a kid. You thought it was Picasso, right? I mean, that's kind of what the energy is like. And we get so embroiled in what's going on politically. We've got Saturn and Capricorn. How can we not be embroiled in it? But it's like, it's important to find things like that we love and have some interest and passion. Leo also represents hobbies. It's a hobby sign. So, I mean, again, I just speak, you know, to my own personal experience. I'm like creating like a little garden out on my patio. Like I'm, I've got beets and stuff growing and planting. You know, it's a hobby. It's a really good time to invest in those things. These are the things that keep us moving and grooving. You know, this is this is the you know the spiritual lubrication for our, for our existence, right? God loves novelty. Novelty comes through when we play and have fun and explore and learn new things. So this is a good time to do that. That sounds good. I think all of us will buy into that one. Um, we have only 20 minutes left because I'm going to have some really noisy workmen in the house working right over my studio. So now we have to kind of zip through the eclipses coming up, which are happening in July and August in a very short, saturated period of time. So let's mm-hmm. let's hop through the implications of these various eclipses. Right. So we have a partial solar eclipse, and that's going to happen uh, in July, and it's going to be on the uh, 13th, right? Just verify that. Yep, July 13th. And what's interesting about July 13th is that it's a Friday the 13th. So oh. now we have we have not only the eclipse, uh, which is partial solar, and we have you know this whole Friday the 13th thing, which goes all the way back to you know what happened in the south of France, which I really want to get into a long time ago, um, but um, it's going to be partial and it's going to be in the sign of, of cancer, right? So we get into that whole idea of the eclipse. It's like, it gives us, especially partial solar eclipse, it gives us the ability to deal with both light and shadow, right? Cause it's partial. It's not just completely blacked out. We're dealing with the black sun. So we can look at this cancerian kind of energy and sort of the light side of the cancerian energy and then the shadow side of the cancerian energy. And that, again, gets into, you know, your home, the world, kind of the world around you, growing things, local water, stuff like that. So, you know, if we're trying to get some, derive some meaning out of this, you know, we're looking at, to some degree, what nurtures us and what doesn't nurture us, the light side and the dark side, mm-hmm. solar eclipse, partial. Now, the one thing about the, uh, the moon will also be, in cancer at that time, which is how we get this whole kind of partial thing going on. Um, and that's going to bring up this, you know, connection with mothers, with the moon and cancer. And so mothers, maternity, um, I would be, again, you know, you get into that very early stage of children and, you know, pre-birth and stuff like, you know, abortions, pro-life, you know, pro-choice, you know, split down the middle, shadow and light. I mean, that's part of, you know, it could be part of the dialogue. So that's, you know, that's the first eclipse that's coming at us. And that's on the 13th. The next one that we deal with after that. I think it's the 27th. Be on the 27th. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's July 27th. And uh, that eclipse is going to be, that's a total lunar. And um, so, so that's going to be really stretching across like Europe, Africa, Asia, and Australia. So if you're in that part of the world, you're going to see a total lunar eclipse. And so that's going to be on the uh, the twenty uh, the twenty seventh, 
And let me just look at the uh, the astrology very quickly for that. So there we go. We've got the got the sun in Leo at three degrees. That brings us right back into this discussion with the true node children at that time. Okay. Yeah. So you know, mark that on your calendar, right? The twenty seventh, and just keep your eyes and ears open. The thing about the eclipses is that the energy will happen roughly about a week to a week and a half before and after. So there's about a three-week period. So on that, uh, you know, on that scale for that radar, uh, children should be right at the top of the list. Okay, that'll be very p- potentially revelatory time for some of the stuff we've been talking about. Yeah, that's the that's the period I was thinking of when we were talking yesterday in prep, and so that brings the issues to the surface. It also gives a chance for light to be shined on it and for healing to begin as well. I assume. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So then we have August 11th. That's a partial solar eclipse. And that's going to be, like, really hard to see. It'll be up in uh, Ulaanbaatar and Mongolia, parts of Beijing, and uh, a little bit in Stockholm. So it's going to be really up in the other upper part of the planet. And it's going to be partial. And that's August 11th. And uh, that's going to be in Leo. And then, again, we're dealing with that Leo energy one more time, right? Okay. So Leo energy one more time. It, it, it's going to be – it won't hit the, uh, the true node at the same, in the same way that the previous eclipse, um, the earlier uh, July eclipse, will take place. But if you can put the two together, you might have like a part one and a part two. You might have an intro – I wouldn't say an outro, but maybe an expansion of what takes place on that previous eclipse in July. Okay. It's going to be interesting for sure. Okay. And now we're going to, I think it's August. Yeah. August 6th, Uranus and Taurus go stationary. And you said this. Yeah. Uranus goes stationary on August 6th, which means it's getting ready to go retrograde. And that stationary period is generally considered kind of a tricky period. You know, theoretically when the planet just, you know, stops in its tracks and, it goes this way. Um, it's almost as if time gets stopped down, and especially when an outer planet goes stationary. And those two planets are fixed sign. Um, it's it's it, and well, at the same time, we've got the sun, which is also going to be in Leo. It's going to be like mm, kind of further ahead. What about uh, sixteen degrees? Right around there, 15, 16 degrees. So um, I think it's 12 degrees. Anyway, but it's not going to be quite in that T-square, but it'll, it'll play a role. So we've got three plan- – well, and then we've got Jupiter in Scorpio. So it's kind of like almost like a, 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 like a grand fixed cross energy right around that time. And I guess how I would you know, relate to it from a collective perspective and – and also from a personal perspective, it feels like a, a lot of really bottled up energy can get really explosive during that time. So we could, you know, throw that back out into what's happening in the Ring of Fire, mm-hmm. you know, from a kind of a geophysical standpoint, um, you know, what's happening on a collective level, you know, are people, are things just so bottled up that, you know, like, because there's a lot of really bottled up energy right now out there, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And even personally. So, 
you, you know, the, the stuff, when you get into the, like the fixed signs, they tend to be alchemical, right? They are alchemical because you're changing something that has, or you have the potential to change something that has long-standing consequences, mm-hmm. right? Long-standing. When you get into like mutable energy, like you can make adjustments and it's mutable, right? It's kind of like light touch, light touch, light touch, make the change, make the change, make the change. You may backslide a little bit with mutability. Cardinal, you're, you're, you're making that catalytic kind of moment and then you're like letting it go, right? Let's see what happens with the card. With the fixed stuff, once you do something under a fixed alignment, which is kind of what we're looking at here, that thing is going to be fixed, whatever it is. So that period, you know, that's going to be a really interesting time where if you want to make changes to your life, be really conscious and really aware about what you're doing. Because that's, it almost feels like timeline material. Like we're forking off into other timelines. And these time we have, we have our own personal timelines. We have collective timelines. You know, we have galactic timelines. So it right. feels to me like that's kind of a timeline, pivotal timeline moment for people. Okay. And then we go just a bit after that, mid-August. This is good, right? Saturn and Uranus trine. You say this is actually a really positive time. You know, as soon as Saturn, the word Saturn comes up, people, you know, kind of recoil. So tell us about this. Yeah. So one of the things that we're going to be dealing with here, which we didn't really talk about, is the Mars retrograde in Aquarius. And I think this has something to do with that. The Mars retrograde in Aquarius gets into this whole thing around what we were talking about earlier with Roseanne and the tweets and, you know, to some degree, Tommy Robinson and his stuff. It's like, you know, what can we say? How far can we push it? What happens if we push it too far? You know, what happens if we need to push it in a certain direction? But with Aquarius, some groups don't like it. Tough shit. What happens if in some other directions where we push it too far? Other groups champion it. So we're going to get into like a lot of internet rights issues with this Mars retrograde coming up. And some of it has to really do with the fact that, you know, whether you like Trump or not, one of the things that he's done is he's basically pushed people with that Sun-Gemini-Uranus conjunction to unlock what they say and how they think for better or worse. Okay, so, you know, if you've been mired in a politically correct mind lock and down in that swamp, for better or worse, guess what? You get to look at it and deal with it and say, I've been a slave to my own kind of mental projections, what I'm supposed to say, think, or do. And both sides are dealing with this, right? They're both sides are like getting in there and like, you want to slay this sacred cow. Yeah. And some of that is quite deleterious. But if we really step back and again have like a more adult conversation about this, it's like it really theoretically should be welcomed so that we can kind of get it out of our systems and purge this thing so we can have a really powerful dialogue about things in the world that are important and then we don't take them personally, we don't get triggered, we're not dealing from ideology, but we're looking at it from a place of, wow. That's really interesting. I never thought about that, mm-hmm. right? So this Mars retrograde is, we're going to get into a lot of that with Mars retrograde. But the Saturn trying to Uranus could be, 
Look, I'm not a big fan. Like, there's people are saying, well, we need an internet bill of rights. I really don't think so. Like, in this country, we have a thing, right? It's called the Constitution, which actually allows us some semblance of free speech. But what's really been interesting is that a lot of people, I mean, I'm sure you know this, you've been getting, like, you know, our privacy updates have changed, our privacy policies have changed. That's a big deal. That's coming out of the EU. That's EU-generated. So the EU is creating its own kind of um, sort of best practices for the internet, right? Right. Well, there are some of those businesses have no social media platform. Like they're just selling you something. They're like, what are we going to do with your information? Right. There are other businesses that do have a social media platform and they're basically saying what you can and cannot talk about. So with this Mars retrograde, people might, you know, crack that open and say, well, hold on a second. You know, I want to be able to talk about this. I want to be able to have these dialogues. And hopefully the Saturn-Uranus trine can maybe bring some of that together. It's a very brief period, right? I would look more at um, sort of what happens technologically during that period and what kind of things that, um, you know, kind of pop into the marketplace. Um, You know, that'll, that'll be kind of a fascinating. The one thing that's also really interesting is, I don't know if you followed this, but Again, you know, like Trump will do something that will just totally piss people off, right? Then over here, he signs this bill into effect that allows people to have experimental treatments, right? So if you have a kid, bring it back to a kid, child, and they're like, you know, in a really difficult place before, you may not be able to get an experimental treatment. And kind of now you can. And maybe the Saturn-Uranus trying might converge a little bit with that. So that maybe some of these experimental treatments actually become kind of more, you know, less Iranian and kind of out there more mainstream. Right. Robert, we're about out of time. I think we covered all the major topics, but if we haven't, just a little wrap up at this point, I would appreciate. Yeah, I think it's going to be a really interesting summer. (laughs) Uh, I I feel like, you know, you you and I were talking about this yesterday and, um, and I, and I would, I would, uh, agree with you. You said that based on some of the stuff that you've been um, kind of connecting with around Gaia and other sources, that people are getting really burnt out on the conspiracy stuff, right? I mean, this is what you brought up. And I, and I think that, I think that that's true. And I think it's time for us to begin to move kind of beyond that. Like we, like if, if somebody wanted to spend a week with me, I could take them down so many rabbit holes flip switches, and then what do you want to do after that, right? Right. You go through this sense of outrage. Then you go through a sense of, like, maybe a little bit of depression. And then you get this, like, okay, well, how do I do this? How do I I work with this? How do I change this? Well, I think what's really going to be very important now is for us to integrate what we understand on a um, sort of a paradigmatic level. And then, again, bring it home. we got to bring this stuff home now. It's really important. You know, just here in the town that I live in, they're thinking about putting fluoride back in the water. There was a group of 12 of us that met last, you know, Monday night, town council. And, you know, it was great. Some really credited people sitting down, we don't want this, right? This is, this is where it's at. And if anybody really wants to get involved on a ground floor issue that affects all of us, it's 5G, okay? You want to put some energy into something, you want to make the world a better place, Huddle with the people in your town, find out what the plans are for 5G, 
And that's the big pushback. So that's where I think we can actually make a difference. Bring it on home this summer. I couldn't agree more, Robert. I've been waiting for the time where we all wanted to step up into this. And like you say now, we're going to either step in it <laughs> or we're going to step up and do something about it. And I so appreciate that message. It's been a great conversation. I think been very revelatory on a lot of levels for me as well as our viewers. So thank you, Robert. It's always my pleasure, Regina. Thank you. All right. Once again, Robert Phoenix, you can find him at robertphoenix.com. You can look to him for some of his classes, perspectives on a lot of things, a lot of large overviews, also even for private readings. So again, robertphoenix.com. Until next time, thank you so much for joining us here on reginameredith.com. <laughs>